As we, um, as we prepare for Christmas in just a couple of days, I, I've been spending this season, I've, I told you a few weeks ago, I've been spending this season really intentionally trying to think about this idea of incarnation, of God coming in human form, how Michelle spoke of the Word became flesh. And that phrase, if you've been around church things, it becomes really familiar, but the implications of it are, uh, I, I think, transformational to our lives. And so as I've thought about it, it's interesting that uh, I was thinking, wow, I'm going to get some deep revelation out of all this. And what's, what's happened is that I'm sort of uh, been musing on all the, the simplicity of this and I want to just offer to you a couple of thoughts as you prepare in your own way with your own traditions and customs in your family. What does it mean to us that the Word became flesh? This is going to be uh, a sermon that's going to jump around to a couple of scriptures. It's going to be relatively short. And I'm really dependent, as I am all the time, on God's Spirit making real to you the old English word is quickening, making real to you where, where you are because for some of you, for some of us, we have believed. We have believed that the Word became flesh and yet there's part of us that the reality of it is, is still a long way away. For some of us, we are here but the reality of the Word becoming flesh hasn't transformed us yet. And so, as we look at what I think was processed by those who followed Jesus when they saw Him with their physical eyes, I just, I just want to offer some, some thoughts, trusting that the Spirit is going to make this real. If you've got your Bible, would you open with me to Luke chapter 2 and the Christmas story? And this... Part of the birth narrative happens eight days after Jesus' birth, where a good Jew would have presented in the temple their child to be offered there. And I'm going to pick up reading Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem, whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he, that is Simeon, took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The wonder of this, and again, it's um, I, I feel uh, 
almost silly because I'm not adding anything really to uh, to what Scripture says, but can we just for a moment imagine this older man having waited for what it says is the consolation of Israel, that word paraclesis is the word for comfort, for encouragement. He had gotten a promise from God that he would see Messiah. I don't know what his understanding was of who Messiah was, what Messiah would do, but he was ready for things that were not right to be made right. Can you imagine with me for a minute, he walks in and for whatever reason, he knew that this baby of everybody that was milling around in the temple that day, this was the answer to the prayers that he had prayed, to the hope that he'd had. And he holds in his arms God. I don't know that he had a fully orbed theology of what that meant. But here this man, we know little about him. He's looking at, he says, I'm seeing the salvation. I'm touching it. It's here in the flesh. And it's light. This child is light, he says. Revelation, that is a revealing God. Can we get our minds around the second that he's holding God as an eight-day-old baby in the flesh? And he's seeing with his eyes what his heart had longed for. The first epistle of John, John, the one who would, we would say was probably Jesus' closest earthly friend, writing a letter to the church. You can hear him trying to get his hands and arms and mind around this concept. John opens his letter like this. That which was from the beginning, echoes back to this word, was from the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. He starts his Gospel. And here in this letter, this epistle, he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon. That's kind of like seeing with your eyes, isn't it? That our hands have handled. We touched Him. Concerning the Word of life. That life was manifested, which means to be publicly seen and known. And, and we've seen Him. I think He just said that. And we've looked upon Him. And we've seen Him with our eyes. And, and we're going to bear witness. We're going to go tell it on the mountain. We're going to declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was made known to us, verse 3, that which we have seen and heard. Have you ever thought about the repetition of what he's saying here? He's trying to get his own hands around the fact that this person with whom he walked for years with, who now he knows to be dead and gone and then back to life, we touched him. We held him. He said, we are declaring it to you so that you may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we're writing these things so your joy may be made full. Here's the point of today. Your joy in life is not going to be full until you've seen, tasted, touched, and known Him.
Now you say, and I can hear it because I would say this, well, I wasn't alive then. I didn't touch him. They touched him in 25 B.C. or 20 B.C. Now, maybe if I touched him then, that would make some sense. But here we are, and I'm not touching him. Aha, hold on. All through the Scripture, we're going to see people who talk about the touching, seeing, knowing, and what that means to us in 2019 at Christmas. Remember when Thomas, who had walked with the Lord, touched the Lord, heard the Lord's voice, but was outside, he he didn't believe. He didn't believe that Jesus was resurrected. He didn't believe he was alive. Because see, it's not only believing that Jesus Christ came in as a human, fully with all of God within him. It's that when he died and came again, that that resurrected body, Thomas needed to touch that, didn't he? He said, come, touch me. See, I'm not a ghost. I am what? I'm flesh. I'm resurrected now. And then Jesus says to us, He says to you and to me, He says, Thomas, you believe because you've seen and you've touched in that physical sense. He says, but so blessed and happy are those who haven't seen with these fingers or seen with these eyes and touched with these fingers And yet we believe because somehow we can know. In the book of Hebrews that we just finished, the writer of Hebrews offers and he says, look, faith that what we walk in now is substantial. It's the substance, the touchingness of what we believe. Of what we can't see, we get to touch something. He said, well, Hold on, are you playing like three card Monty with me and showing me this thing you can touch, but you can't touch? I'll tell you this story from one of my favorite stories in the Bible is John chapter eight. It's the man born blind. And as I was reading that story, something struck me that I'm not sure I'd ever thought about before. If you've got your Bible, you can open to it. I'm going to jump around in this story just a little bit. But it's the Gospel of John, chapter 8. And it just says there was a man who had been born blind. Actually, I'm sorry, John chapter 9. John chapter 9, and he passed by, Jesus passes by, and he sees a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Just say a couple things about that. The disciples looked at this man and saw a doctrinal question. They looked at someone who was blind. The man couldn't see Jesus, right? He didn't, he was blind. The disciples saw a doctrinal question because in their theology, he was blind because someone had sinned. The brokenness was caused by that. And Jesus' response is that it's not this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me 
while it is day. Night's coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Pivotal moment where Jesus says, you're going to see because I'm the light. We see light sometimes and we see light reflected off a lot of things, don't we? Light's kind of an odd thing. Light's, you could spend a long time thinking about light. But Jesus says, I am the source of light in this world. Not light like coming from this, but that we see truth. Both reflected and from Him. What does Jesus do to heal the man? He doesn't put His hands on the man and say, you can see, and then the man opens up and he sees Jesus, does he? He says, go wash. He puts mud on his eyes and says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And the man goes off and does as Jesus said, and he can see, and he's healed, and he's never seen Jesus. You get that? He's not seen Jesus, and yet he's been touched by the Lord. He's aware of God, obviously. He's blind, and now he sees, and he'd not seen Jesus. I'm not sure what the disciples thought. But now for the Pharisees and the others, he was a doctrinal problem to be solved again. Because now the doctrinal question was, how could this man's prayers be answered? Who is he? How did he do this? And the man who is healed says, I don't know nothing from nothing. All I know is I was blind, but now I see. Do you want to follow him? I'd like to know who he is. He's not seen Jesus. After... He's put in front of kind of a little trial about who is this man and, you know, verifying and all that stuff. Jesus shows back up again in verse 36, 35, 36. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. Once they were done with the man, the doctrinal problem to be solved, Jesus shows back up again at the need, at the point of his need. Before his need was, he needed to see. Now he saw physically, but he needed to see Jesus. And so in verse 36, he says, or or 35, Jesus asked this question, do you believe in the Son of Man? The blind man said, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? He'd been healed by, he'd been touched by Jesus, and yet he's still asking the question. And Jesus says, you have seen him. Here I am in the flesh. It's He who is speaking to you. And He says, Lord, I believe. And He worshipped Him. Every one of us has to see Jesus for themselves. You can't see Jesus through someone else's eyes. You can't see Him through your parents' eyes. You can't see Him through some faithful person because... This really impressive, faithful person believes, I know God's got to be real. Because my husband or my wife or my, my mentor or my pastor or my teacher or whatever, because they believe, you've got to see and hear Him. And as it were, you have to taste Him. Because Jesus has come in the flesh, Because He made Himself 
knowable. We can be also known by Him. So how do we do it? How? You say, well, ah, I want to do that. Let me give you some touch points. We've talked about that in the currency of heaven, faith is the ability to make tangible, to touch something that's that's not real and make it real. The Holy Spirit has been given to give us a sense of His presence, His way to sense. See, the, the, the problem is that sometimes I feel like we, um, we, we set God into our imagination. He's in our imagination. And we kind of wish for what was real. But see, I'm con- convinced and convicted that the spiritual life, that the realities of heaven, the realities of the kingdom, are, are so present in this room, present in the gathering of believers, present when we do the sacraments together, present when we're having this, this walking this Christian life together. And that some will uh, be wise sages and we will sit back and we will pontificate about the doctrinal, oh, I, I, this or that, and we'll never taste and see and know but that I feel like there's a thin sheet between heaven and earth. And that if we will open ourselves to the possibility that the risen Lord Jesus is present with you as a, when you believe, present with us as gathered believers, that we can begin to sensitize our spiritual ears, our spiritual eyes, our faith eyes. And one day... One day the promise is that it will be, our faith will become sight and that we will actually, there will be a tangibility to it. And yet, if you and I are willing, as we, you know those who walk closely with the Lord and it feels like they walk, the Bible talks about people who walk with the Lord in that tangible way. God's left us His Word as a way, and and in Him, again, it's a mystery, but He says the, the Word of God actually becomes flesh. It becomes, Jesus embodies this, and we get to read, and we get to know, and we get to internalize this. And as we do all these things, I feel like this thin veil between heaven and earth gets thinner and thinner as we walk with Him, as we experience Him, if we do the things that Jesus did, if you forgive someone who doesn't deserve to be forgiven, if you love someone who's unlovely and who would rather persecute you, as we live the life that Jesus lived, I really believe that His Holy Spirit will make Him so tangibly real. Some of y'all are going to have the opportunity in the next two or three days to do that. You're going to have the opportunity to love somebody who may be a little unlovable and they share your last name or common parentage or heritage. Seriously. And I want to challenge you to touch Jesus 
And that don't be satisfied with simply having Him touch your life and you having seen the blessings. Y'all, we are blessed. There are so many ways in which we are blessed. Like that blind man who was touched by the Lord. Some of y'all have been so blessed by God, but you haven't seen Jesus. And the blind man had the opportunity to say, Lord, tell me who He is. And I'm telling you this morning that Jesus Christ is so real, so touchable, so hearable, so knowable because He came in the flesh. Later on in the gospel, in the epistle of John, John says, how do we know if someone is from the Lord or from the devil? He says, it's really hard to know sometimes if someone, who someone is. And interestingly enough, in the uh, fourth chapter of the epistle of John, he says, here's how you know if someone is from God or not. If they're not from God, they will have denied that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. What an interesting test. I'm not sure I would ask someone that. What, what is that about? He says the reality of knowing and touching Jesus Christ gives spiritual discernment to the idea of what's of Him and what's not. He's the one through whom we process life because He's the only one who walked life. Y'all, we all face the issues that plague humanity of isolation or of just, when you look at what your top issues are, you're just weary. You're just frustrated with the various things of life. It's common to all people and when we can try to solve it with principles and doctrine i'm not against doctrine but just like the blind man wasn't a doctrine to be solved your loneliness is not a doctrine to be solved your frustration with yourself or with your family or kids it's not it's not that you have wrong thinking to get righted necessarily. You need something in the flesh. You need one who will come alongside you. That word when Simeon, back at the very beginning of this talk, we talked about he's waiting for the consolation of Israel, paraclesis, that idea of encouragement. It's the same root word that the Holy Spirit comes from. We need someone to come alongside of us. And those of you who are grieving at this point because you miss someone who's died and gone to be with the Lord, wouldn't it be nice if the veil between heaven and earth were so thin that we knew for a fact that one we love who is with the Lord is right there, that our faith is almost sight? Wouldn't it be a joy to know when you're feeling just like you want to kill and strangle something because you're so frustrated that there's one who's walked in that way before you and knows and understands and walked with God the Father in a way that you can walk with God through the frustrations. He became flesh. If you don't believe that, the Bible says you're not a Christian. I don't know how to say it any more clearly than that. 
that we must believe that Jesus was the complete, all the fullness of God dwelled in Him. Because only if that happened do we know that He took on our sin. Because only a human could bear the sin that humanity and the judgment it brought upon itself, taking that judgment and dying. So let's embrace this. So these, these sort of random thoughts, I pray that the Holy Spirit would quicken to you, that if you have never really believed that, think Jesus is a good dude, He's just alright with you, as the Doobie Brothers sang, <laughs> I pray that He'd be much more than that. That God incarnate, God coming, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I, I feel inadequate. I feel that I can't do justice to speaking what is a mystery. Lord, and yet I sense it so closely and so near that if we only had the eyes to see and the ears to hear that so much of that which we long for, that which plagues us, would be diminished. It wouldn't overwhelm us because we have someone to be with us. Something won't do sometimes. Some thought won't do. We need a person. Jesus, thank You for the sacrifice that You made to be held as an infant, to put yourselves, put yourself in the hands of humanity who didn't know what to do with You. And then inviting us to see you, to touch you, even now, even, Lord, even though not with the physical eyes, with our hands, we still have the ability to touch and see and walk with you if we'll take the opportunity and take the avenues you've given. No place does this reality become more real to us than when you asked us, to take your body, to take and eat. Lord, on the night you were betrayed, you took bread and you'd given thanks, you broke it, and you gave it to your disciples and you said, take, eat, touch me. This is my body, it's broken for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. And after supper, taking a cup of wine, you gave thanks and gave it to them and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As oft as you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. Lord, this is just a small foretaste 
in touching the wafer to our tongue and feeling the wine in our mouths, Lord. It's, it's a small harbinger of the reality of getting to touch You, to hear You, to know You. Lord, help us to walk in the faith that tears away the veil little by little until Your second coming, that final advent when You've come to make all things right and make all things new. So Lord, we want to celebrate in thanksgiving that You who've walked with us continue to and will never leave us, You'll never forsake us, and that You are the hope of the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.